This is iFanboy Media Explode, Episode 7. Take two. My head is spinning. It's the beginning of the end. The people freak out when I walk out there. So Fanboy Media Explode, Episode 7. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. This is Josh Lanigan. Hey. And Ron Richards. Oh, hey. I didn't see you come in there. We're doing it again. <laughs> this is the iFanboy Media Explode show, unlocked by the patrons over at patreon.com slash iFanboy. And if you just happen to stumble into this show randomly, we normally do a show called The Pick of the Week, which is about... No, no, don't, don't tell them. I want them to be confused when they get the next episode. Okay, well, we're over here now talking about the stuff we watched or listened to or whatever we did in between... The last episode in this one, not related to comics. I do love the idea of a new listener getting this, like, wow, they talk about movies and TV, this is awesome, and then the next episode come out, and they're like, bat what? They'd have to really stumble around to get to this without knowing that. Yeah, sure, it's a good point, but you never know. Every episode is someone's first podcast. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there'll be spoilers as we discuss the uh, media we watched. This is the little show, very much like the end of the year show we do, in which we talk about the media we enjoyed throughout the year. This year's show for that one will be different because... What are we going to do for that show, by the way? Because <laughs> not only do we talk about everything monthly here, right. but we consumed a lot less. I mean, did either of you go see Tenant? No. <laughs> could no. you? <laughs> no. I could. No, they're, they're closed yeah. here. Yeah. And also, no live shows. And anyway, we'll figure that out in December. It may be a half hour. I mean, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll vamp. It may be we just cut together these shows into one long show. That's a good idea. (laughs) A lot less work. Get on that, Kilpatrick. (laughs) All right, so we're going to talk about what we watched or listened to or whatever we did in the last few weeks since the last time we did this show. And Ron is going to kick it off. Yes, I am. Because I got so much crap for not wanting to go first previously. So I'm, I'm happy to go first. Since we last convened, I actually took up Josh on two of his recommendations. We uh, watched all of Mythic Quest on Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus and really enjoyed it. It was fantastic. How about uh, that final epi- episode, huh? Ep- episode five and the last episode were some of the best TV of the year. I think up there with that Maisel, uh, the, the quarantine episode was up there with the Maisel Miami episode. Yeah, Connor, right? yeah. Fant- like possibly the best COVID-related media like COVID themed media I've seen in all the past six months. So great oh, job. It was, it was, it was yeah. that was the, that episode five was just five was amazing. We, oh my we, God. Yeah. We're like, I want to watch this show, but I, um, I was halfway in and I went, wait, what, wait, what is this? But I was <laughs> so into it that I didn't even realize it. Oh, anyway, so, we're not good. So, so good job, Josh. And, uh, and then me and my wife started watching trust and we're six episodes in and we're completely enthralled. So Josh, I love it when you suggest media to me. Thank you for the suggestions. Thank you. I appreciate hey. it. But in terms of the suggestions I bring to you, my dear friends and our listeners, kind of delved into documentary docu-series stuff this past month. First up on HBO Max, thoroughly enjoyed the documentary Class Action Park, which is all about an amusement park called Action Park located in Vernon, New Jersey. That was open from the late 70s until the mid-90s. And if you grew up in the New York metro area, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And it was it was really really good. I saw this trailer. I want to say more than a year ago. And my and it looks like HBO Max snatched it up, and then they put a little more post production. John Hodgman narrated it. Chris Gethard was one of the talking heads in it. So it got got a little you know notable folks in in it. You know nostalgia plays. And if you grew up in the York metro area in the eighties and nineties, there's no way you didn't know about Action Park. I do love amusement park. I never went to Action Park. The closest I ever came was when I was like eight or nine. My dad took me to a car show in a field next to Action Park. And I'm there walking up and down rows of Mustangs and Shelbys and Cobras. And I could hear people screaming and laughing and having a great time. And I go, hey, Dad, let's go over there. And he's like, no, no, no. Look at this engine over here. It's great. It's original. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the closest I came. That that's cruelty. Like, you no, know, it was. I mean, it, it made me a better man. <laughs> Well, actually, it did because honestly, what I didn't know, what I unwittingly, by my father not letting me go to Action Park, he unwittingly saved my life. Clearly, because, yeah, that's be, true. Because Action Park was a death trap that should never, <laughs> been, should never have been open for as long as it was, because the people designing the water slides and the rides were insane, and uh, the fact that it was uh, something that that not only stayed open for as long but thrived for years, and actually, the whole tone of the documentary, like it starts off very, very funny, but just how wild this place was and then it gets a little down when they talk about like the the people who died at it i swear this documentary came out five years ago i don't understand maybe it was an article it might have been i swear i went through this whole like story before you're a reader so maybe the people out there can tell me why what i'm thinking of because i swear this came out before well, according to Wikipedia and IMDb, it's 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 really a 2020 documentary. It premiered virtually at the 2020 F- Florida Film Festival. Am I a time traveler? You might be, unless there was something similar about it, or, or who knows. I don't know. The kind of the underpinning tone of the documentary really zeroed in on the fact that like the 80s were this time of innocence and freedom for teenagers and kids growing up and you know and connor you know and josh we all grew up during the 80s and it definitely you know the parenting now is different than it was back then and the idea that you could you know hop in your friend's parent station wagon and go to this action park for a day and like literally come very close to dying and no one bat an eye at it because it was just kind of like everyone assumed it was fine or was safe or there wasn't as much kind of parental oversight going on because everyone was doing cocaine (laughs) You know, just really, really interesting about that idea of just like how kids had a lot more freedom and lived a little more of a dangerous lifestyle because the innocence coming off of the 50s and the suburban, you know, kind of thing hadn't the fear of the 90s hadn't set in yet. You know, that like yep. now, you know, like now we live in a fear based society that wasn't there in the 80s. And, and it comes and it comes out in the context of this insane water slide park. So uh, definitely recommend it. It was re- you know really really interesting and and a good a, a good entertainment for ninety minutes. Strongly recommend. And then my my second thing I just want to recommend is on Netflix also a, a docu series, a six episode docu series, forty five minutes or so per episode called High Score, which is all about video games. And in fact, one of my friends Jay told me he he watched it and said, Ron, you need to watch this. You're going to hate it, but trust me, just watch it. And I was about halfway through the first episode and I completely understood what he was talking about because it was one of those slightly watered down for average audiences Mm -hmm. documentaries about the history of video games and being as someone who loved video games, played computer games and all that sort of stuff. There's very, very few things in this docuseries that I didn't already know or hadn't heard about, but it's fun to see people like Nolan Bushnell, the guy who created Atari and the, the guy who created Super Mario Brothers and like all these, like they got a lot of the game designers who created the games that we grew up with again another nostalgia trip here uh, is Dave the, Grohl in it 
Uh, no, he was not, thankfully. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's what we call a teaser in the business. Um, it, it was, you know, like, so the, the, the episode structure was kind of chronological. So it starts in the seventies with like Pong and, and the arcade boom. And then they talk about Nintendo and there's a whole episode about, uh, uh, computer adventure games. And they had the guy who did Ultima and the woman who did King's quest. And they had all these people who like, I idolized as a, in, you know, in, as in the eighties and nineties as a, as someone who loved games. And then it gets into Sega Genesis and street fighter and Mortal Kombat and, you know, and all that sort of stuff and esports And, you know, so they do a really good job of kind of telling the story of our culture and video games going back to the 70s. So uh, if you're into that, you'll, you'll eat it up and you'll enjoy it. But it's also done in a way that if someone who's not into video games can also enjoy it. In fact, I think my wife is more into it than I am right now. So did you also hate it? No, no, I understood what he meant by hate it because it's like it was kind of eye rolly. And also they do they do the. I, I think he meant I, I would hate it because that Netflix style of documentary series where they not only kind of water down the subject matter, but then they make the subjects do wacky things to illustrate what they're talking about. Uh-huh. So, so like they, you know, they, they had game designers pretending to be in their game and put like computer graphics, like they had the guy, the, the Japanese guy who created street fighter two, Right, mm-hmm. you got Wes Craven. You got the you got the you got the, you got the, you got the master of heart. You got the guy who created a genre of fighting game. They made him stand in the middle of the street in Japan and pretend to do the Haruken move, and then they animated it as if there was all this energy coming out of mm-hmm. him. And I was like, oh, I feel bad for the translator who had to like hear from the producer, like now tell him to do this, and like, it's like mm-hmm. oh, it was very that look on his face, like he was like, I don't want to be doing. No, this. they always seem like they're into it because someone's okay. like like the Ultima guy, Richard Garriott who's a weirdo like they had him dressed up in full chainmail armor playing D&D with himself and like it was just like very cringeworthy and I hate that but I, I guess people like that so what are, yeah. what are you gonna do? I have that conversation with myself a lot I think I'm the only one who doesn't like this yeah <laughs> so, Fine. but I enjoyed it so if you like video games definitely check it out it's worth it well we're, we were looking for something to do we've been we've been watching a lot of movies at night and I was on Netflix and I went, I haven't seen Ocean's Eleven in a long time. And so we watched that. And then a few nights later, we watched Ocean's Twelve. And then a few nights later, we watched Ocean's, Ocean's Thirteen. And I, I really don't think I had seen them since I was in the theater. I definitely saw all three in the theater. And I remember liking them, but that was kind of it. That's so crazy to me. I know. I mean, like. No, I just, I just fascinated. I watch this all the time. You I watch can't that stuff though because you watch t- like you have TV and you're like, oh, that came on TV. I don't ever do that. Connor, like, how often is the TV off in your house? <laughs> At night when we're sleeping. Yeah, right, exactly. no. like which is consistent, by the way, since right. before there was streaming. Yeah. So yeah, that's the thing. Like, like it's funny because I don't have cable, and so I never like it is rare that I watch a movie again after I see it in the theater. Including uh, Josh, I'm with you. I don't think yeah. I've seen Ocean's Twelve since I saw it in the theater. Well, it's not yeah. a good one. Let's talk. Let's yeah. continue though. So anyway, you know, I was struck by some some of it aged more than I thought. You know, the, the plot and. You know, everything about the first movie is fairly timeless. Cell phones and smartphones screw everything up. But in fact, they're all before the iPhone. So it's good. But other than that, it's just kind of the haircuts. The haircuts and Andy Garcia's clothes. But I think those are weird no matter when. Fantastic. You You mean fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, Like Brad Pitt's hair in the first one's real bad. Mm. And in the second one, it's it's a little Tyler Durden-y. And then by the third one, him and Clooney are just like the guys you know. They haven't hit that next phase. Brad Pitt was a pretty boy, and then at a certain point, he just gets to be in—he's a little aged, still pretty, but 
real cool. You know, your your uh, your Aldo Reigns and forward period. You know, well, I mean, a lot into, of ways, this is the peak time. I mean, I remember coming out of yeah. the first film in Brooklyn, walking home, and there was a girls behind me who had been in the theater. They were all debating who had been the hottest guy in the film. Like this is like. And they, they agreed it was Carl Reiner, right? Well, obviously, obviously. Sure. It was, it was between Carl Reiner and Gould. Yeah. But. <laughs> By the way, how great is Elliot Gould? Pretty great. Just, just in general. So. To me, I mean, if I think about peak Clooney, I think about the first Oceans film. And, you know, when you when they sort of walk out in those suits. And you, mm-hmm. the cast is terrific. But that's, to me, like, the, their peaks of cool, you know, where Clooney became, like, this thing. You know, more than what he already was, was through these films. Well, Lindsay and I spent a lot of time trying to like sort out what makes the people attract. Like I was like, is Clooney really good looking or is it something else? Is it the look in his eye and the sound of his voice? Like, like, like if you saw that guy walking around, how would you, but there's a bit, you know, like he looks at the person at the camera and he has like a smirk and you're just like, that's the most charming man on earth, you know? And then Brad Pitt has a different thing going on. Brad Pitt's obviously like, he's, he's objectively like a very handsome person. But he's got a coolness, too. And it's hard, you know, Matt Damon's in it, too, and he's fantastic because he underplays everything, and he's he's very low status through it, and I just hadn't seen him like that in a while. And he looks like a kid in the He's kind of a one. dork. Yeah, he is, and I love it. You know, yeah. like, it's, you know, he, he really can do, like, he doesn't, have, he doesn't play roles like that anymore. In fact, he's been a bad guy more than anything lately. <laughs> I mean, but at the end of the day, they're all super fun. You know, yep. I think the third was my favorite. The second is obviously like a little European-y, so it's a little different. It's it's probably a little too complicated. I don't know if that's the right word, but it just isn't. isn't it's kind of a mess. A little bit, yeah. But, you know, like it's super European, like the way it's shot, the soundtrack. So it's it's like they're all really beautiful to look at. And, I, and, and I, you know, you hear that this, these are the movies that Soderbergh did – his these are his mainstream movies so he could do his indie stuff and his indie stuff is great he's i was gonna say he's almost like we don't talk about him quite in the same level as tarantino or fincher but that's silly because he's incredible he's I, I'm, I'm trying to think of an analogy you know to 70s director or something but it doesn't matter like he does great thoughtful interesting <laughs> varied films and if these are his mainstream movies i mean they're gorgeous maybe if they didn't have all the celebrities in them they wouldn't be as compelling, uh, yeah. I mean, or uh, they wouldn't bring in as big of an audience, is what I'm saying. Oh, it would be yeah. as compelling, but yeah. But the um, fact that he got all those celebrities to come and be in them over and over again, you know, is amazing. It's funny that you mentioned this because Steven Soderbergh was the EP, was an executive producer on the new Bill and Ted movie. Hmm. I saw that actually. Yeah, I was like, oh, well, interesting. Yeah, uh, I mean, but he's like, he really is one of the great filmmakers of our time, and and even in this, his most you know, commercial of movies, I think all of his personality is still there. You know, the soundtracks and the, God, the way that second one was shot, like all of the insert shots and things with it, they take a camera from really far away and sort of zoom in or out to somebody in a very 70s European way. It's just all sorts of these things that are fun to look at and watch. And because there's so many people in the cast, it is difficult to talk about the best parts of it. Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. In the third movie was amazing. I was like forgotten about him completely, and I was good Pacino. And, and I was like, "Is this the last great Al Pacino? Probably not." But it's one of the you know, like it's they're getting more rare at that point. I think that's a good question. Ooh, yeah. What's what's the arc of Al Pacino like? He plays it not down the middle, but you know, he doesn't go over the top too much, and and he's he's also though understated. he's like a he's a straight up bad guy. Yeah, it? he's a villain. He doesn't do that a lot. If you can pick one Pacino film, which one is it? Oh my god! You only, you only, you only get one. Oh my god! 
just go, you just pick one. Go. It, it, it's it, this is totally like psychology, like like association. Like Al Pacino, go. Connor, the Godfather. Josh. I'd say Godfather as a movie, but I'd say Dog Day Afternoon as a like a Pacino performance. Hundred percent Dog Day Afternoon every yeah. time. Every yeah. time Dog Day Afternoon. Serpico Love. though, he plays with the He's dog. Great Serpico. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's uh, any given Sunday, just as a, <laughs> a Susan. Josh, uh, you might be you might be correct that that might be the last great Pacino film. He, uh, yeah, I mean it's a really wonderful performance, and like he he. I he mean he's good in the Irishman. Don't get, don't get me wrong, he's good in yeah, the Irishman for sure. Yeah, and then I guess the one other thing I wanted to talk about, I love, I love near future horror sci-fi, mm-hmm. like sure. The Martian. It's one of my favorite modern movies, and so I saw the preview on Netflix for Away. Which is mm-hmm. basically like The Martian. It's just the first part of it. There's a, a crew of five who are going to go to Mars. It's not now, but it's not long from now. And it's, you know, everything is pretty much based on real science as much as is possible to take this journey to Mars. And of course, there's drama and things go right and things go wrong. And there's personal animosities and then friendships and blah, 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 and all that stuff. At the beginning, I didn't really like it very much. I was like, I'm watching this because this is cool. But it was a lot of personal drama. It was a little. Parenthood, little Friday Night Lights kind of thing, but not quite as good. That's up your alley. Well, yeah, no, it was just a little too melodramatic with that. There wasn't very, it wasn't very fun for a little bit. I guess is the point that I'm getting at. And it turns out that Jason Cadams, who was showrunner of both those shows, wrote at least one of the episodes and was on the writing staff. So there's that. I don't, I don't, he didn't show create it. But as it went on, and the thing when the characters all sort of do get to know each other, and they, and the, you know, the respect forms, and they sort of solve their problems. You know, by the end of the first season, I was like, more. You know, I really dug it. Like just in. I'll take anything out of that genre if it's halfway decent, for sure. Cool. And I, I think it's one of those things that if they do more of them, it will just get, get better. But great show. What is the last one you watched before that? I don't know. I think uh, Ad Astra, which mm-hmm. I didn't really like. Mm-hmm. That was bad, Pit. <laughs> I still haven't watched that. I got I got a screener of that last year, and I just I never got, got around there's, to it. There's some cool stuff, but it's uh, super boring. Yeah. And, it, and I, st- I don't understand it fully. Brad Pitt doesn't have anything to chew on or work with, and so it's all a very like bland, depressed Adderall over a voiceover. It's uh, it didn't work. There's parts of it that were cool, but the moon sequence was cool. Yes, the moon exactly that part was amazing. I was like, oh, we're in for it now. The moon sequence. So like, what was it like a shootout car chase on yeah, the moon? Yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This has actually been a busy month for me in terms of stuff that I've been watching. So as I've talked about before, we're alternating shows to binge. We each pick. It's been my choice. I chose Psych, my favorite of the USA Blue Sky early 2000s shows. There was like six or seven of them. White Collar and Burn Notice. And it, was all those all, it, was, it was all those shows that were the same, you mean? <laughs> they felt like Magnum P.I. They felt like those kind of 80s like action shows. You know, there was like That was the SNL sketch, right? The yeah. What is Burn Notice? That's yeah. my, my, it's, <laughs> I, it's one of my favorite ever. Lindsay and I still say it frequently. <laughs> Wait, what is Burn Notice? It's going to take a while. It's 120 episodes. And we're through season two. So it's going, to take, it's going to be doing that one for a while. I watched one episode of Chef's Table Barbecue on Netflix, and I had to stop because I don't have barbecue. <laughs> it was about Snow's Barbecue in Texas, which was voted the best barbecue in Texas. So some might say the best barbecue in the country. It made me so hungry. I saw, I saw that on Netflix, and I said to Carrie, I turned her, I'm like, oh, that's going to be dangerous. <laughs> 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 They're lovingly, beautifully shot shows. And the great thing about this episode I watched was that it's a character piece as much as anything because the chef at Snow's is an 85-year-old woman. Mm-hmm. So technically, she's the best barbecue chef in the country. And she's this 85-year-old school janitor because Snow's is only open one day a week. So she has a day job. 
and mm. she makes the best barbecue in the country. It's it's this terrific story about her and her life and the barbecue place. And then there's lots of Ooh. slow pans over brisket being cooked and then sliced and eaten and then yeah. sausage and chicken and turkeys and easy, buddy, easy. I'm I'm literally salivating right now thinking. Rated right in. So. Did either you ever watch Street Food? It was on Netflix too. No. No. It was like they went to different countries and did the same thing. They talked about the street food, usually at these Asian co- countries. It was yeah. very similar to that. And it was the same. It was like, oh, my God, this food's amazing. That's a really good one. So even though we're in the middle of Psych, the other day I was like, I need to watch something. I want to get into another episode of Psych. And I still have Apple TV. And I heard some things about it. So I started watching Ted Lasso. Oh, I just we literally just watched the first episode right before we recorded this. It is incredible. That's what really? I heard. I, so some of my it's coworkers incredible. recommended it. And we started, and literally, like, I was like, oh, we only have about 40 minutes before I have to record. I'm like, let's watch this Ted Lasso. So we watched, we're one episode in. So uh, so don't spoil it. I don't spoil it. So it's, it's ridiculous. And I wasn't going to watch it originally, though I'm a huge fan of Jason Sudeikis. But it is based on a silly concept. So in, a couple of years ago when NBC Sports got the rights to the English Premier League soccer, they did a couple of promos with Jason Sudeikis as, a, as an American football coach you know, trying to interact with English Premier League. So the idea of this show, which, by the way, was co-created by Bill Lawrence, the creator of Scrubs, Zach Braff directed one of the episodes, is that this club in London, uh, Everton, hires Bill Lasso, this Division II football coach in America, to come coach the team. Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Richmond was the team. Richmond, that's right. You have to sort of accept it. Like, it's silly. It would never happen. You, you just kind of have to accept that's what the premise is. You know what it was? Like, halfway through the episode, it's I tried to I'm like... I was, yeah, I'm like, it's kind of like Major League. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a fish out of water comedy between these two American football coaches living in London and dealing with the, the fans and the team and a different sport. But also, and I'm not going to spoil it for Ron, but Ted Lasso is like the nicest person on television. Well, we, I got a taste of it because in the first episode, so the first, whole first episode is him coming over and like meeting the press and meeting yeah. the, the owner. And we, we said Major League because the, the owner, she got the team, ownership of the team in a divorce from her husband and is now trying to drive the team into the ground, right? Like that's the Major to get League angle. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But at the end of the episode, Ted calls his what? family back, yeah. in, back in the States and you only get one side of the conversation and it becomes very apparent that he's on the rocks with his wife and it gets very kind of plinky piano music. And like we were like, oh, it's because he seems so genuine and seems so nice. And his wife is like, he's like, no, 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 I know. We're, 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 uh, I'm giving you space. And it's like, oh man. So what it what it does is everyone's sort of a stereotype at the beginning, and it starts peeling back the layers of all these characters, and you start meeting all these really interesting characters, and they have interesting relationships. But he is at his core like the most genuine, nice person on TV. And right now, yeah, I need that. And it was just, it's just been so great, and it's been, it's hilarious. It's heartfelt, and the relationships in, in Episode 7 now are totally different than the ones in, in Episode 1. You, all these new connections have been made, characters have been introduced. Total, I put it on as a lark, and I'm totally engrossed in it. It's terrific. Oh, wow. Okay, great. I'm excited. Now I want. Now we're going to finish it. We're like, let's oh. watch an episode and see how it is. So. And it's this weird hybrid between like a British show and an American sitcom. Oh, like cool. One, one like camera a- sitcom, because it's, a, it's set in, in London. It's shot there. Everybody but Sudeikis and his coach are British. And I think there's like four executive producers. I think probably the rest of them are probably British. But it's this weird like American one camera show, but also a British show. It's just, The tone's very interesting. Like catastrophe. It's great. Yeah. It's really, yeah. really, really great. And then the last thing, which is going to lead us into our next segment, is that when Bill and Ted Face the Music came out, I was like, I kind of want to watch that. But my wife had never seen the other ones. And so one weekend, we rented all three in a row. We watched literally all three in one, like, Saturday. Mm-hmm. And so we watched 
Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and then Bill and Ted Face the Music, which is our main feature tonight. We're going to discuss the uh, film that was supposed to come out in theaters, but instead came out in VOD. And it is the how many years? 30 years in the making? Uh, uh, when did Bogus Journey come out? 20, uh, 92, I think. 20 plus years? 91. Years? It was 91. So right. It was 89, so 89 and 91. Yeah, so 29 years in the making. Yeah. 29 years in the making. Third film in the Bill and Ted Now trilogy starring Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, and a whole bunch of other people we'll talk about in a second. Before we get into this film, what is your guys' relationship to these other films, the first two films? Loved them. You crazy? They came out. The first one came out when I was 12? Yes, we were Right? All. Like, perfect. Perfect age for that, right? Like, it was great. That's how I got introduced to George Carlin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, I mean, like, and it, and it was, it, it was a so twelve-year-old you came out and said, "Who's that Rufus guy? I want to know more <laughs> yeah. about that." And then, and then I got, I got the audio tape of his explicit HBO comedy special, and it was, yeah. uh, we, I remember listening to that on a school bus with friends, and like that was, oh, that was great. No, I, I, I love Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I mean, like the history aspect of it, I, I, you know, like, and it's a legendary. I mean. 30 years later, we will just randomly say San Dimas High School football rules, you know, mm-hmm. like, and, oh, sure. and, you know, and like every time I used to drive yeah. by San Dimas yeah. in California. Yeah. Every I mean, time. Like, yeah. And there's still quotes from it that still carry through. I think it's a definitely a classic. I remember going to see Bogus Journey in the theater. I remember loving it. William Sadler, right? His death. Yep. Yeah. Great. I mean, like it was, you know, it got a little weirder. You know, the dude from Faith No More was in it. Like it was, it like there was there. It really touched on a, a bunch of different notes at the right time at the right age. So yeah, I, I enjoy this franchise fondly. I wouldn't say like I don't have posters up in my house, and I wouldn't say I I followed through on anything. But I was there when it came out and enjoyed it. I don't think I've watched it since. Well, that's part of my question was when is the last time you saw either of those films? Oh, in the nineties, so, at least. Yeah, interesting. So I. I remember very clearly going to see Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I may have like that would have been one of those things that I would have seen the commercials for and be like, I'm totally going to that. <laughs> Which I'm not sure why, because it, in essence, it doesn't look like something I'd really like. But I was into comedy at that point, like a lot, and there were those kind of movies. I remember loving that first yeah. movie, like laughing so hard. Napoleon at the water park, classic. <laughs> I, you know, it was more like it was Waterloo. Like, like, I remember the line. <laughs> Like, how's it going, Royal Ugly Dudes? And just yes. thinking that was the funniest thing I'd ever heard in my life. Yep. And I mem- I definitely bought that movie on DVD, you know, in my 20s when I was, like, every Tuesday I'd buy whatever new DVDs came out that I wanted. And I've seen, I watched that a few times. And, and I kind of always just, held, like, in my, it holds a very nice place in my heart in terms of those kind of movies. Bogus Journey, I went to, I was looking forward to it, I liked it. It didn't really hit me as much. I know that later people were like, oh, that was that's the real arty one. And and I bet if I'd seen it again, I'd probably think so. I didn't know who Bill Sather was until a lot later. And I was like, oh, wait, that was that dude. But I watched, before uh, we watched the new movie, I didn't get to Bogus Journey, but Lindsay and I watched Excellent Adventure. And she hadn't seen it in forever. And I just, I couldn't remember much about it other than I was like, I think it's really good. And as I was watching it, that was just bolstered. And, and I think it's at the end of it, Connor, you had said this about what's his, the, the Jason Sudeikis character. Yep. Like, Bill and Ted are just really good guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. they're really good they mean guys. Well. It's a really, it is, it's a really sweet movie. It's not mean. And then you go along and everybody that they go pick up, you know. <laughs> Billy the Kid. <laughs> Socrates. Bill the Kid, Socrates Johnson. <laughs> oh, man. And Abraham Lincoln. You know, everybody, they're Sigma all Freud. game. 
There's no, there's no like fighting about it. Like there's no, there, there's no con conflict well, on that. That was part. a great conversation we had after watching the first one. Was that there's no bad guy in the yes. first one. In the first film, there's no villain. The second film has a villain, and I have th- I have a lot of thoughts in the second film. But the first film is just a romp. It's an adventure. It's literally it's an excellent, it's an excellent adventure. adventure. It, yeah. There's no one trying to stop them. There's no one trying to hurt them. They don't have to stop a bomb from going off. It's literally just oh, they have to do this presentation at their school about history. They have this time machine. They're just going to get people from the past and bring them to their presentation. And that's the whole plot of the movie. And that, yeah. it's so refreshing. And it's perfect. And it's so lo-fi. Yep. You yeah. know, it, the, you can see it's low budget. It doesn't make any sense, but it doesn't matter because everyone in the film is sort of having a great time and, and being charming. That's what's so great about that first film is that it, it's, it's just like really charming and sweet. And it's of the time, but not yeah. in a horrible way. You know, yeah. what I mean, say all the valley people and like the and whatever and the dude and party time, whatever. But like, it's in the same way that like Fast Times at Ridgemont High, you yeah. know, like that sort of thing. And 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 Th- kind that's of the, a lot darker. Yes, <laughs> no, it is. But in, yeah, but in terms of the in terms of like the type of people and like it's like you know that that sort of thing. The great observation about it not having a villain that is literally just a time travel adventure and that's awesome. And you don't see movies like that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the second one, I found myself really not liking too much. It totally changes the dynamic of the story. Mm-hmm. We see a morality tale. Yeah, but and then also like in the first film, you know, this guy shows up and he says, "Hey, you two guys who can't even play your instruments, your music's going to change the world." And th- right. that, that that idea is kind of silly because they they're these hair metal guys who can't play. Not hair metal, but they're that, they're sort of like that weird middle ground between metal, hair, yeah, hell yeah. Metal, metal and hair metal and rock. Thrash, a little thrash. Like, and they yeah. can't play their instruments, but but these guys are going to save the world with, through the power of their music. And then that becomes a different thing in the second film. And it even becomes a different thing in the third film, totally. But it changed it. Like, the sweetness of it went away when this guy tries to kill them, and then they end up dying and going to hell, and... I mean, it stakes. Like, you, you introduced... Like, like the first movie, they just needed the past history class. Yeah. But the second movie, it introduced stakes on a more, co- you know, threatening the future and all this yeah. sort of stuff on the cosmic level. Yeah, so... So it became a whole, like, more sci-fi story than... It, like, the first film's kind of like this fantasy time travel story, and then became, like, this dystopian sci-fi just, tale in the second film now it gets whacking goofy with death who joins the band plays bass in wild stallions and then there's a whole montage at the end where he's in the that part works and then it pays off in the third film but i don't know it just sort of it changed the dynamic it changed the paradigm from the sweet their music will change the world to like the literal music will change the world which is what happens in the third film I mean, it's, I think it goes back to the first one is be excellent to each other. Right. Yeah. Like that's all. That's that's literally all it is. It's their ethos and their their music or whatever it is saves the world. And that they that's what they're about. Of, they tinker with it for the second <laughs> film. But let's talk about the third film. So that's why we're here. So this is set 29 years later. Now. Bill and Ted are middle aged. They have the daughters that they've had with the princesses from the first film, who were played by different actresses in all three films. By the way, the, one of the princesses in the first film was played by the French girl in Better Off Dead. And the, one of the princesses in the third film was the woman from Glee, who I haven't seen since yeah. then. They're all yeah. different, yeah. So yeah. they still haven't written a song that's going to change the world. They're feeling the pressure. I did like the fact that we see them playing a song at the wedding of one of their brothers is getting married, and they're they're performing a wedding. They hope this is this could be the song, and they've gone from metal 
to Keanu Reeves is playing a theremin and and Alex Winter is doing guttural singing and like you know they they've they they've explored every you could tell just by those choices you know that they've explored every type of music to try to find whatever this song needs to be and just by introducing a theremin into it told that I was like to- good, good call Tuvan throat singing yeah exactly yeah. I was like is he throat singing <laughs> So they're they're feeling the pressure. They haven't they haven't written a song, um, and now sort of reality is coming apart in the future. Now we've got all new people in the future because one of the guys in the first and second film was Clarence Clements from the E Street Band. He has died. Carlin's dead. So they had all new people, including uh, Kristen Schaal playing Rufus's daughter Kelly. Can I just say Kristen Schaal played it completely straight the whole time? Yes. Normally she goes wacky, and Lindsay kind of can't stand her. Which no, but like this whole time I was like, you know, she's kind of underplayed, and it was like, yeah, okay, she's not awful. <laughs> so, now we end up in dueling time traveling here, in which they are told they have to go find the song because reality is coming apart in the future. So then Bill and Ted go off in this new this new time travel device. Meanwhile, their daughters, who are teenagers, female versions of them, basically, they get involved and they have to go off. They're in the phone booth, right, or is it the other way around? They're in the the pod, the future pod. I will say that maybe 20 minutes into the film, my wife made me pause it, and she said, hang on, I want to write something down on my phone. And then when we got to the end of the movie, she showed me what she wrote down, and she had predicted the ending. Which I didn't love. (laughs) So continue on. I just wanted to get that in there early on, and we'll explain what it is later. So the girls go off, and we got like a dual path here, where Bill and Ted are trying to find the song, so they're going through their own lives into the future. Gets progressively worse as they go, and progressively funnier. And their daughters are basically recreating the first film. They're going through history to, to create the ultimate band that they're going to use to try to play the ultimate song. So there's a kind of a, a nod to both, and then it ends up coming together at the end. I didn't love the fact that Bill and Ted had basically nothing to do with the music that saved the world. Right. They came on to, to do nothing. Yeah. The spoiler warning and what my wife wrote on the phone was that Preston Logan are not them; it's their daughters is the daughters bring the music together and they all play together at the end and save the day. And that's essentially what happened was that they get told that Preston Logan will write a song that will unite the world. And they basically figure out that it's not them. It's the the girls and the girls get, bring the band together and it's up to them. Now here's the thing that I thought was interesting about this because you've got two choices with time travel and with all this sort of stuff. You can either try to set some sort of rules to have it make sense, whether yeah. those rules apply in physics or not. Or you can just say, fuck it, who cares? This is a fun movie. And they chose the latter because then what happens is that they, as explained by Kid Cootie, yep. they use some sort of quantum blah, blah, blah for them, that to was be, fantastic. for them to be everywhere at once to help amplify the song. And that's what they did. They supported their daughter's song, and that's how they all came together. But it involved them being infinite number of Bill and Ted's in infinite places at infinite time, giving everyone an instrument so that everyone can play along. And at that point, I was like, oh, this is just all, you know, like this is nonsense. But it's fun nonsense. It's, it's harmless nonsense. That's where I netted out with it. It was, you know, I didn't love it. Uh, I didn't hate it. The movie or the ending? Uh, both. Interesting. I think at first I was like, there was a little bit at the beginning where I was thinking, oh no. Because I think it is very difficult to watch those men at that age. Yes. Not look like I saw them in my head because obviously. <laughs> well, no, here's the thing about it though. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've seen the John Wick movies, sure. right? Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen Keanu like in public on red carpets. Yeah. 
he looked worse in this movie than he does in real life. I think they it did was, something to him to make him look worse. I, I think they it's did. Like, yeah. That begs questions, but still. And yeah. you know what's funny is after a little while, actually, I thought like I I, I was like Alex Winter that settled pretty in. good. Yeah, no, yeah. I know. But as he started going, like I was, it was really interesting that they both totally did those characters. And I know it seems like they're cartoons and it's simple to do, but you know, thirty years later, that I don't think it's I think it's a lot. I thought easier Alex Winter had it a little bit better than Keanu did. He did. Yes, no, he, he totally did, and and he sort of took over it. You know, Keanu's well, a dumb feel, guy. Because I, I feel like Alex Winter has really been living this for longer <laughs> than Keanu has. Well, he's become a, he's become like a director. He does look, but like I think you're right. No, Ted's dumber than Bill. Bill is yeah. Alex Winter. So Bill was always in all the films. He's like the, the catalyst. He's it's his ideas. Ted's more there to react to everything. Yeah. So at first, and and it was just like I think it was a little creaky to get going, but also like you don't know what's going to happen. Like there's right. there's all sorts of reasons why this will not be good. You know what I mean? But as we sort of rocketed towards the end, I thought the daughters were really good. Again, at first, I was like I don't know, and then I realized I was like oh they're just doing their their dad's characters. Yes, in the same way, and I thought that was kind of charming. And I really like, oh, they're going to pick up all the people. And I was like, that Jimi Hendrix guy looks amazing from three quarters view, and he should have never started talking. <laughs> like when he was playing guitar, I was like, wow, that's really excellent. But eh, excellent. That was fun. And I will say, like, by the end, they all start playing the song. Like, I felt a thing. Like, it built up for me. And, like, it was totally stupid. Like, I'm not going to tell you it wasn't. It didn't make any sense. But it won me over at the end because the thing is, like, we're going to play this music. Because for a long time, you're like this is this doesn't work. this isn't going to work like right. there's no way that they're going to succeed at that thing and it's it's going to and so but they found a way around that and then they gave you what was to me like an authentic feeling through music which was the whole point now, now I will agree with you there but I will say is that surprisingly I don't think that the movie was like a, it was a it was a fast 90 minutes they're all like that they're all like 90 minutes right no they all yeah. yeah and I'm not saying it should have been longer and I don't know if this is the difference between 43-year-old Ron and 12-year-old Ron, but <laughs> I felt... Not a lot of difference. I felt like I wanted to see more of the girls' adventure. I felt like there was barely enough of that, and I did think that the Bill and Ted parts were getting a little long in the tooth until about three-quarters of the way there when they got to the, themselves in prison. Yeah. And then when they got to themselves on their deathbeds. Yeah. That was sweet. That was really sweet. That scene was great. The prison scene I thought was hysterical. It got better, but I thought the first, you know, third to half of the movie was was rough going down for me. At least. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, I agree. I, that's what I. That's yeah. what I had. And, and so, it felt it felt too it felt too fast. It felt too light on in on 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 both sides. And the stuff I wanted to see, like I know you want to leave them wanting more, but like I felt like I didn't get nearly enough. The part of the fun is the is the traveling. Well, through I think time. that's the consequence of cramming so much plot in when in a ninety minute film. Like when it's just the two of them running around, it's great, but now you've got two sets of story going on in 90 minutes and there's a lot to get done on the whole i had fun watching it i liked it it was it was fun yeah. i just didn't like the fundamental changes to the nature of the story which sounds stupid coming out of my mouth <laughs> talking about Bill and Ted. but i just love the sweet idea of these two idiots music power of the music not a literal thing just like this music is so great it, it saves the world as opposed to Making it a literal thing, where the literally the music saves the world, and I, yeah. I, I didn't like that change, but that's just me. I did like death more in the third film than I liked him in the second film. I liked the absurdity of him being in the band in the real world. Like when they go back to hell, the daughters go to hell to get him. He's got the posters. He's got his memorabilia in his little. That was funny. Like he misses being in a rock band, you know, and I thought that was funny. 
I like I, all, I like death. I death, the death stuff was great. I thought. Plus, he didn't have to worry about aging because he just put the makeup on and he's <laughs> right. the exact same person. And so that will, was helpful. I will say, additionally, also probably the thing that got more laughs out of me and my wife was once the psycho robot snapped and Dennis. became a, in, in, yeah became Dennis and became this in, insecure tag along. We we laughed out loud a lot about that. <laughs> and then when Dennis and Death were together, it was very funny as well too. It uh, was very funny. Yeah. So yeah, that that was pretty good. Actually, you know, like I know you said, you know, it's, it wasn't them; it was their kids or whatever. But I like the fact that the girls existed because of the things that they were like. The ki- the girls like really knew music. Oh, I love the character. They were great Bill characters. Ted, I loved. I know. I wanted like, more of them. I wanted more. Bill and Ted never. You know, for a long time, you're like, I don't know how they're going to make this band that's amazing. And I think that if you're writing this script, I don't think there was any way to show that either. So, like, the solution out of it is, well, what if because of their, you know, their attitude and their love of music, they create these two other people who really do have the ability to do it? And that made a lot more sense to me. And they also, like, from in terms of economy of storytelling and filmmaking, like, you, like, when they go back to the garage and the girls are listening to something and they're like, wait, is this Monterey Pop? Like, no, no, no. This is like the, like, I love that. Like, like, just that exchange shows that these kids are now, like, experts in music and, like, and knowing all that sort of stuff. And, like, and the seeing the array of instruments and, like, the reference to, you know, like, Keanu was gonna, was, was thinking about selling to Les Paul for $66,000. Like, you know, like, you got the sense that. That, that they they continued their love of music and exploring yes. music to write the song and instilled that in their kids, which Josh, like you, got yeah. me a little choked up. So yeah. Also, yeah. they were talking about selling the Les Paul, and all the guitars in the garage were like cheap ass Epiphones. And I was yeah. like, oh, right, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, they clearly had bad money management because they in, 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 in this, the second movie they were like touring the world, they're playing the Grand Canyon, and now they're living in in the suburbs with no money. Yeah, there, there was the thing where they were like, there was the danger of their their the princesses leaving them, and I was like, no, that can't happen. Yeah, that's yeah. one of those things. Like Bill and Ted can't fight with each other, and right. the princesses can't leave them, and they're like that family. Actually, there was three things going on. It was Bill yeah. and Ted, the daughters, and then the, and then the wives went off on their own time travel. Yeah, adventure. which was so not needed. Which was not needed. There was too many things going on. Yeah, and also that had no real stakes. Yeah. Like they told you it did, but it never really panned out. It didn't stop the movie from being charming and the actors from being charming. Oh. And the whole experience of watching all three Bill and Ted's in a row was a lot of fun. Yeah. I don't take that away. It, just, it for me, never recovered from the second film when they, they changed the nature of the story. I'm just a yeah. purist from the first film. And I think that's totally fair and valid. I mean, while I enjoyed Bogus Journey, I agree with you. Like The introduction of hell and this idea of cosmic balance and scales and all this sort of stuff took it out of the historical, factual basis into a more metaphysical. And there's the sweetness of these two dummies music yeah. being the thing that saves the world and yeah. you never hear the music and that makes it even better so like yeah. you know I just I, I love the sweetness of that anyway it was yeah. still a lot of fun I'm glad they did it like when I first saw the very first yeah. still image from it I was like oh no and the trailer too I was like oh no but it ended up being a lot of fun there's a real you know danger I mean this is all we see constantly is, us, is people going back to things you know like what it was before but I, I think the fact that the creators were consistent throughout of it and they had, you know, that voice, that concept got to be the same thing. And it's goofy, but it's, it is sincere. Yeah. Like there's yeah. a re- there's a real unique th- thing that's, you know, every, you can talk about a lot of goofy 80s movies, but this one stands out. It's definitely got its own sort of thing going on oh, yeah. because of that sweetness and, and just sort of good naturedness of it. I do want to mention the girls time tap adventure, which was echoing the first film. I loved that sequence, picking up Mozart yeah. and picking up, Jimi Hendrix and picking up mm-hmm. the flautist yeah. that we never heard of and then picking up the ancient drummer like that 
all was terrific. I loved Mozart. He was all into it. Also, Louis Armstrong. Like, it was all great. That was all great. Yeah. Yeah. I was I like, mean, didn't they already get Dave Beath oven? <laughs> no. <laughs> that also killed me in the movie theater. <laughs> it's just so dumb. It's just so dumb, but it's so great. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Party on, dudes. <laughs> so that, I I enjoyed it. I I hope. Listen, my wife wasn't around for the original films. She wasn't dead, but she just didn't watch them. So she didn't watch them at she twelve. Was a baby. <laughs> she loved them. She loved really? all three of them. All three films. Yeah, she, she I, loved I think them. Lindsay was going went into the first one skeptical because she's like, "This was a dumb movie when I was 12. And at the end, she's like, "No, that was really good. Like it, yeah. it's a good movie. Like it's yeah. stupid, but it's good. Yep. And not stupid. Not like so bad. It's good. Like there's it's there's something about it that works. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And and that's the thing, like going into this, it was like when it came out, I was like, oh, I would have seen it if it opened in theaters and the on demand and all that sort of stuff. And and I even said to my wife, I'm like, do you want to watch this? She's like, well, if you have to for work, then you can. And I was like, all right, fine. And so I watched it. But like even sitting in through and going through it is that like during it, I knew I'm like, this is not good, but it's not bad. You know, like it's not awful. Like I'm glad that they made it. I'm glad that they rounded it out. Like they kind of put a, you know, kind of put a bookend on it. And it's something that I look back on fondly as, a, you know, as, as movies that I did enjoy. So it didn't, it didn't tarnish the original, which I think is the bit, you know, this, this wasn't clerks too. <laughs> no. Right. <laughs> no, so. no, no, I, I don't, I don't regret watching this at all. I'm not ashamed. Yeah. Of, it, it was super fun. Yeah, yeah, it was. My problems are fundamental and not really related to the film itself, which I thought was great. Now I'd like to again, mention the death scene. That's where I felt it. Yeah. I didn't feel it in the, in the music scene, but when they went to visit themselves as they were dying, I, that's where I felt sort of emotional having watched all the films in a row. So yeah. it was, that was nice. So there you go. That's Bill and Ted Face the Music. And I think it was last episode we said, hey, if you got emails, feel free to send them in to contact.ifanboy.com. Well, we got some. Awesome. We're going to do one here today because we're, we're getting close to the edge here. Andy M. writes and says... I'd be interested to hear if you're still using DVD and Blu-rays and what sort of future you think they have. Despite all the streaming options, you're still sort of forced by them to watch what they have when they have it. But if you want to watch a specific film, I think you can't beat DVD Blu-rays. I'm still hanging on DVDs post-rental, but am I the only one? Fascinating. Good question. It is. Let's start with this question. Do either of you have a DVD player? Yes. Blu-ray player, um, yeah. Blu-ray player, Blu-ray player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. I do. I, I upgraded it. I yeah, I got a new one. Yeah, a 4K one, yeah. 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 I will say I, I have one. I bought one. So I feel like I'm a little bit unique because I have a bunch of DVDs and Blu-rays. I moved from California four years ago into a smaller apartment. All my DVDs and Blu-rays are still in boxes in a storage unit. Sure. So I have not had access to them. Then fast forward two years after I moved – and I found myself with access to screeners at the end of the year mm-hmm. and no way to watch them. So I ordered another Blu-ray player and now I have them and it's the yearly watch screeners on Blu-ray player. Aside from that, I don't use it anything else, although I am about to order the DVD set of Mr. Rogers episodes for my kids to watch because listen, your kids. he went and we found out how they make a saxophone and it was fascinating. <laughs> Uh, and Bill Nye was just on. We're in 1996 now, and Bill Nye is doing science experiments with Mr. Rogers. It was awesome. So I have it just in case, but I can't tell you the last time I bought a movie. I can't tell you the last time I watched one. But that said, I own 
like I have Goodfellas on Blu-ray. I have Indiana Jones. Like I have the movies I love. They're just in a box somewhere. That's why I might not be unique for it. But I I still do agree with you that you know there's really no better way. It's like you get the best quality off of the media, off of the disc. You know, versus streaming, you might have artifacts or it might be compression or anything like that. But um, although it is getting better with 4K, uh, yeah. But I will say that I, in the past four years, there has not been a single time where I went to go watch a movie and I couldn't get it streaming. Oh, no, there was. There was one movie that I could not get streaming, and that was The Commitments. Hmm. The 25th anniversary Commitments Blu-ray is like 10 bucks now. I should pick I've that almost, up. Just I've almost bought it a bunch of times. Wait, hang on. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see if it's actually streaming because because the thing is the deals change and they come and go and they yes. go to different things and all that sort of stuff. We've talked about that before. Josh has talked about losing films in the middle of watching them. You are at the mercy of the streamers and the contracts that have been yeah. signed. You can stream the commitments on Hoopla. Like, what the fuck uh, is that? that doesn't count. That's and, not and, one that. And uh, you can rent it from Amazon, Google, YouTube, okay, yeah, yeah all, that's Apple. Fine. Yeah, it's all there. I, I, so, Connor, I, I assume you're still buying some physical media. Oh, yeah. I, I probably buy f- yeah. like 10 Blu-rays a year. Mm-hmm. And I, have, I, I get them from Netflix. I just watched a couple, you know, like Breathless, uh, the Godard film. And oh, I, I still it's get... funny because I just saw that was on TCM and I figured that's why you watched it. No, no, no. I, I had before it came on TCM, I'd already had it sitting on my table. Right. And I've got like the trip through Greece waiting. They just arrived in the mail today. Oh, that, that was fun. That's a good one. We should talk. We should talk about that. That was fun. You know, what's interesting is I have, you know, like in my 20s, I was like every Tuesday I'd buy two or three movies. You know, like I was everything that came out that I liked. I'd get a copy of it and then some. Then when it sort of switched over to Blu-ray, which is a long time ago now. It doesn't seem like it, but it's been a long time with that. That's a standard. You know, I, I really thinned it down to I'd buy movies that I loved. You know, like there's, you know, like my Tarantino movies and I bought... I can't even think of anything, but like the movies that I loved. And so I have like a, you know, I have a stack of them, let's say 50, 60 of them. I had 500 DVDs. Like I had a ton of them and I would still buy them occasionally up until relatively recently. And it was, it was relatively recently. It was, we're in this pandemic that I was like, I don't need any more of those. Yep, you get, <laughs> it I'm doesn't mean I won't. It's just that like, not it's, everything is available, but it's there's crazy. something else. It's crazy. I mean, like you guys know me. You remember me? Remember? Didn't I walk oh, the shelves yeah. of all the DVDs? Yeah. I, I mean, literally, yeah. I, I have not for once wanted any one of them that are in those boxes in the past four years. And admittedly, a lot of shit's gone on in the past four years that's kept me from watching movies. So it, it might have to do with where what? you are in your life, and that's no. It, but like, I have a living room. I don't live in an apartment. Like, I can. I like to watch a Blu-ray. You know, like like with the sound system. You know, like I have you know, pretty good speakers. I can do the whole, I like that as an experience. I don't do it that often though, because it's like, well, I could just hit the button and it's going now. But also I do actually go back to my DVDs every once in a while because there'll be a movie that I want. I just bought, I was going to talk about this, but I didn't. I just bought the entire news radio series on DVD because it was the only way I could watch it. Nice. And it was like 20 bucks and there's shitty DVDs, but who cares? You know, like it, it doesn't matter once you sort of get going. Right. But in terms of like a quality, if like I want to watch a movie I love, you can't beat that still. It's just, right. it's, I don't know what the difference is because they're supposed to be 4K and they're supposed to be, you know, digital surround, you know, DTS sound, but it's not as good. The sound is better on the physical media and the picture is better. It just is. Yep. It's always going to be. Yeah. Because there's, there's a transfer of information from the source to you that you're going to lose mm-hmm. stuff as opposed to the playing right from the disc from the machine right. that's attached to the TV. You know, I've got my Blu ray of Goodfellas and Gangs of New York and The Departed and Pulp Fiction and, you know, Abraham Lincoln, you know, I got all that, you know, that I, I want to make sure I have. Yep. Party on, dude. 
be excellent. I think for a lot of film lovers, uh, the loss of Filmstruck freaked them out, and mm-hmm. the assumption that at a certain point corporations will look at certain categories of film and say that's not profitable enough. And then, you know, like I think everyone who loves TCM, like I do, all the backlot members, like I am, assume at some point they'll go, "Why are we? Why are we doing this?" Right, and it'll be gone. So I still buy stuff. I still buy. I don't buy a ton, but I still buy yeah. you know, five, five or ten a year. The last one I bought was probably Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker, yeah. but I, I still buy. Which you know, which you didn't like. No, you did. No, I loved. I loved. It. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. Yep, yep, yep. When the pandemic started, I bought a bunch. I bought like the Sting, and I bought uh, Butch Cassidy and his kid. I bought a bunch. I of bought that. That was one of the last ones I bought. Well, I still buy them. I just don't buy a ton of them. I worry less about things not being available because that seems less likely than ever, especially at the point where everything has been digitized at some point. Like if it's ever been on a streaming sor- you know, source, it exists. So it's not going to go anywhere in that way. Well, and it exists. The question is, like, does, the, does the infrastructure that it takes to stream it out? I know, but then exist. I can usually find a copy of it. So like it's not, I don't feel like anything isn't available. And the thing of like, well, you don't own whatever, that doesn't bother me in the least. Right. I don't. Yeah. Like I have, I have so much. I do not need to worry about who actually owns the rights or how to use my copy of The Martian. I don't care. I'd love when I get the digital version with the Blu-ray, though. I'm, I'm a big fan of that because then they're just always and there's all those. They're on every service. I, and and, and I will say, mo- if you don't have movies anywhere, that app yeah. that kind of gather that that gathers up all your digital versions that you either bought for, from DVDs or that you bought from iTunes or Amazon, or whatever, and puts them all in one app. That movies anywhere is fantastic for uh, movies that you own, right? Yes. Um, so yeah, yeah. but it's, and it I've def- got all my David Fincher movies. I've got, you know all that stuff. Like those are worth having. You know, the, the time of the year when the physical media pays off the most for me is Christmas time because all those films get played eventually, but they may not be playing at the time I want to be watching them. Yeah. So I have my stack of 15 or 20 Christmas movies that I like to watch in a certain sequence, in a certain order, certain days. That's a good point, though, because like the lengths that I've got, we, my wife and I have a, you know, we have a tradition of we have a whole list of stuff we watch during the holidays, including The Grinch and stuff like that. A lot of that stuff isn't streaming. Yeah, and a lot of that stuff you've either got to buy and have on physical media, or you got to go to dark corners of the internet to like. To, when you're watching something on daily motion, you know that you're really digging. Oh but, yeah, uh, that's it, how you'll get those good Saturday Night Live sketches. But yeah, I had to do that for for how the how the Grinch stole Christmas because it's just it's just straight up not streaming. I will tell you though that for me, vinyl has kind of replaced those things because your it's your fetish object. It's a different it, fetish object. Yeah, but it does. It feels more. Um, I, I know in my mind that a Blu-ray is just a piece of digital information, mm-hmm. and that to me is less appealing because it can be recreated indefinitely. There's nothing sort of. It's nice to have it here, and I know the picture is better and the sound is better, or whatever. But it's not. It's it's not fully solid in that way, and I also know that like those things will wear out. Like they will. The Blu-rays last a really long time, but CDs, CDRs, all those things like they do have a shelf life, and then that digital information is gone. So you know it's kind of silly. But in terms of like the, a physical object of collecting something, that's totally moved over to vinyl records for me. Mm. Well, you couldn't really do that in movies anyway, unless you're own, own like film reels. Exactly, exactly. But you know, for, for time, I mean, like I wanted to build a gigantic, you know, movie library that I would carry around with me, just you know, in my life, just like I do books. And like that to me is important. It just seems less important to own it in that format now. As long as yeah. you can sort of get to most of it, who cares? Yep, agreed. Agreed. Let's wrap this up. Thanks, Andy, for writing in. Contact at ifanboy.com. If you have media questions unrelated to comics, we're happy to answer them on the show. Love media, to. Put media explode in the subject line yes, so we know Yes, make to, sure you do that. It's easier to find them as well in the inbox. <laughs> so that's it. That's the show. 
Thanks for listening. We'll be back next month with more non-comics media that we enjoyed in the last four weeks. Can I quickly plug a couple of things? Sure, I don't often come on for the, those listening out there. Sure, you can also listen to me weekly over at All About Android at twit.tv slash AAA, where I talk about Android phones. That's my other podcast. But I also launched a new company. If you're into pinball, check out scorebit.io, uh, where you can check out the mobile app that we made to track your pinball scores. And we made it a little device called the Scorbitron that goes in your pinball machines. So those of you who are fanboy people, check out scorebit.io. I've been working on it for the past couple of years. Very proud of it. Thank Why don't you. Why you spell it for the people? S-C-O-R-B-I-T dot I-O. There you go. All right, so we'll be back in a month. we got lots of stuff going on. We have our weekly Pick of the Week show. We have our monthly hangout. We have our Talksplodes and books and Booksplodes and all kinds of things happening. So there's no lack of podcasts. They're all at fanboy.com. You can check them out there. And until next time, I'm Connor. I'm Josh. And I'm Ron. There he is. Hey. Party on, dudes. That's supposed to be the last one. It's be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. You keep leading with that, and it's messing the whole thing up. <laughs> I was capping the show with it, but that's fine. Yeah. You would, so what you should have done. Excellent to each other. Party on, dudes!